0: The Avengers, that's what we call ourselves, sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Some Assembly Required. And much like Nick Fury just said, I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. I'm Andrew, and Some Assembly Required is a weekly podcast where we delve into the annals of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the Avengers. So we'll be taking an issue-by-issue look at, well, the Avengers. We'll be sticking mostly to the Avengers title itself, and obviously when other titles such as West Coast Avengers, Great Lakes Avengers, which is one I'm personally looking forward to, New Avengers, Avengers Initiative, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, come in, we will be covering those as well. But to start off with, we'll be doing most of the Avengers and a couple tie-ins. Each week we'll pick an issue, maybe two, and we'll discuss the heroes, the villains, the story, the the art, and just our my general feelings on the the topic at hand. The Avengers come to us in September of 1963. And for those of you who are less familiar with comics history, this is an era known as the Silver Age. The Silver Age starts way back in 1956 with Showcase number 4 introducing a brand new flash for DC Comics. This is the Barry Allen flash. For those of you keeping score, there are a lot of flashes. DC will then follow this up uh, about about two years later, a year and a half, two years later, with uh, a new Green Lantern. This is the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, again, Keep score, there's a lot of them. Eventually, this will lead to the Justice League. There is a wonderful story that has proven to be somewhat apocryphal in that uh, Martin Goodman, who was the publisher of Timely Comics, which will then become known as Marvel Comics, attended a golf game with some folks from D.C., who told him that Justice League was one of their best-selling books. Not wanting to be outdone by his competition, because Goodman had comic books of his own. Goodman went to his editor, his wife's cousin, Stan Lee, and said, make me a team book. So you're thinking, aha, the Avengers. But no, this is actually, in fact, Fantastic Four. So Fantastic Four number one shows up, In November of 1961. And that will kick off what is commonly referred to as the Marvel Age of Comics. At least Marvel side of the house, right? You're still in the Silver Age, but Marvel will frequently refer to this time period as the Marvel Age in comics. Obviously, the Fantastic Four, very successful. So, instead of producing the romances or the monster books like they had been marvel switches to superheroes so they start with tales to astonish number 27 in january of 62 which introduces ant-man followed in may by the incredible hulk number one amazing fantasy number 15 in august of 62 which introduces spider-man journey into mystery number 83 uh, in that same month introducing thor tales of suspense number 39 In March of 1963, which gives us Iron Man. And then finally in September of 1963, we get both Avengers number one, obviously, which is our topic for the day, but also X-Men number one. So one of the important things to keep in mind, especially when reading older Marvel works, is what is called the Marvel Method. Simply put, the Marvel Method... Is a method of writing where the writer will provide a plot outline which I have heard anywhere from a paragraph or two to upwards of a couple of pages. Uh, We'll provide that to the artist, in this case generally the penciler, and the penciler will actually be responsible for all of the breakdowns and all of the plotting of the story. They've got a, a general basic idea of what needs to be accomplished in the story, but how the actual story flows and the individual panels and everything are really up to the artist. When the artist is finished and the, pa- and the pages have actually been inked, then the writer will go back in and add dialogue. Now there's a lot of controversy that's surrounding the Marvel method, especially in this time period. Most of that revolves around Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Both gentlemen have claimed significant or total credit at various times for most of the Marvel characters that they've created. Now, what I believe and where the, the direction this show will take is that in this particular case, I feel that it is and, and really has to be a collaborative effort to get the characters, the way that we, but we see them today and the way that they are presented in the books. I really feel that there are elements of both men involved now having said that a lot of people will generally discredit the Marvel method as a functional method of writing comic books based on the Stanley Jack Kirby interactions and and that's kind of wrong in general Marvel used this form of writing for several decades after the Silver Age as an example of the Marvel method, there's a, a famous mistake that was due in large part to the Marvel method, where uh, in the mid-70s, John Byrne, who was the artist on X-Men, misread or misunderstood the part of the, a part of the plot that was provided to him by Chris Claremont, and the result was Jean Grey commits genocide by wiping out an entire planet of intelligent life, and is then forced to die as a as a, a punishment for her crimes. And this is the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. If you want to know more uh, about that particular incident, you can take a listen to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men, which in general I would recommend as a very, very good podcast. Uh, but specifically, episode number 21, they have an interview with Kurt Busick about bringing back Jean Grey. But first, Kurt goes into a discussion on how she died in the first place. And we get a a good explanation of, of what happened there. And it is basically as a result of the Marvel method and some of its flaws. So the Marvel method does exist to the extent to which it was used by Kirby and Lee and Kirby and Lee and Ditko. That's up for debate. So before we jump uh, right into our, our episode for the week, I thought we would we should go ahead and introduce our team. This is the first first episode of our podcast, our first issue of Avengers. So I think it's worth, you know, talking about who actually are the original Avengers. So our original Avengers consist of Ant-Man, Wasp, Thor, Iron Man and Hulk. So starting off Ant-Man, is also Dr. Hank Pym, who's a super scientist, who has developed a formula that allows him to change size, and has also developed a helmet that allows him to communicate with and control ants. Uh, originally, his formula was a, was a liquid, and it was a gas, and finally by the time we get to Avenger number one, it's actually a pill. You know, I mean, we're slowly getting better and better. You know, like, well... Maybe not liquid to gas, but pill form, it's a good start. Uh, next up we have Wasp, who is Jen Van Dyne. She's the daughter of a wealthy socialite slash scientist and girlfriend to Dr. Hank Pym. And effectively, uh, Wasp's father goes to Pym looking for some help with his research. Pym turns him down, and Dr. Van Dyne ends up dying after he transports a monster from space inadvertently to earth so after her father dies ant-man brings wasp into the knowledge of his secret identity as a partner gives her the ability to shrink as well and also implants wasp cells that give her little wings when she is in her miniaturized state hence the name wasp iron man who is millionaire playboy tony stark and Tony is a weapons manufacturer and industrialist who is demonstrating a new weapon in Vietnam. And while that happens, he is near-fatally injured and captured, and his captors basically want him to make weapons of mass destruction for them because he's a weapons manufacturer and he's one of the best out there. Tony instead makes himself the first Iron Man suit uh, with the help of Ho Yinsen, and manages to escape. Uh, the Iron Man chest plate obviously, is what's keeping him alive, as he has a piece of shrapnel that is slowly working its way towards his heart. So the Iron Man's is kind of a dual purpose. It's a life support, iron lung kind of idea. Also, it's a suit of kick-ass armor. Uh, we have Thor, who is Dr. Donald Blake. We've got a lot of doctors involved in this. Uh, three on the original team, as the Hulk is also Dr. Bruce Banner. So Thor, Dr. Donald Blake. Uh, Thor is also the Asgardian god of thunder and son of Odin, for those who aren't familiar with Norse mythology. Donald Blake is a crippled doctor who, while on vacation in Norway, hides in a cave from aliens, finds a walking staff, hits it on a rock out of frustration, and it turns him into Thor, which admittedly is way better than what I brought home from my last vacation or really any of my vacations. Probably better than anyone has ever brought back from a vacation. Look, just it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's the best souvenir ever. Here's a stick, now I'm a god. Sounds pretty good to me. And lastly, as I mentioned before, is the Hulk, who is Dr. Bruce Banner. Uh, Banner is a very mild-mannered scientist, although he's working on a basically advanced nuclear weapon. So pacifist may not be the right word. He abhors physical violence, but he's totally cool with building nukes. Uh, I mean, you, you guys try and figure that one out. During the test of said bomb, there is a teenager who sneaks out into the test range. Benner sees this, rushes out to save the teenager uh, named Rick Jones, manages to do so. However, he is caught up in the same blast, and the gamma radiation turns him into the Hulk. Hulk's big, strong, and generally invulnerable. It's kind of, kind of a modern mix between uh, Jekyll and Hyde with the, the flipping personalities and Frankenstein. Uh, Jack Kirby actually describes him as a better-looking Frankenstein. Now that we've talked about the team, I think we can go ahead and dive right into issue number one. So, issue number one is called The Coming of the Avengers. Fairly self-explanatory title and is written by stanley drawn by jack Kirby, inking by dick ayers and lettering by sam rosen and with a couple of ad- other additions this is kind of the core group we'll get for probably the first 20 15 to 20 issues dick ayers sam rosen and a couple other gentlemen will, will jump in on the inking and lettering d- duties but you gotta remember marvel's still kind of a small Small gig at this point, so there's only maybe a, a a half dozen to a dozen folks working on any of the any of the books, and at this point, Marvel's got a pretty decent line going on. So to begin with, we find our uh, primary villain for the for the book, Loki, staring out of the Isle of Silence, where he has been imprisoned by Thor for his many crimes. And Loki's not happy about this. Probably, nor should he be. So he decides that he needs to take his revenge on Thor. However, being in the prison that he's in, he can't physically leave. So instead, he sends out basically his his essence, if you will. And in this case, it it tends to be a set of floating, very creepy, although admittedly fairly expressive eyes. Uh, And initially, the eyes find Dr. Donald Blake in his Donald Blake form not his Thor form. And so Loki says, that's not going to be good enough. I need to defeat Thor, not just Donald Blake, because Donald Blake is lame, literally. So he starts looking all over the place, and eventually he finds himself out in the desert of New Mexico and sees Hulk doing his Hulk thing, which is mostly consisting of jumping around and being sullen. So Loki... Being the, the master schemer that he is decides that what he's going to do is that he's going to get Hulk to attack a railroad bridge. And so in order to do this, he, he basically creates an illusion of dynamite on the bridge. Hulk jumps after it, but because there's no actual dynamite there, he smashes the bridge instead. And of course, there is an oncoming train. Hulk, who in this era is a pretty capable thinker especially considering certainly the movie adaptations and some of the later ones with Hulk smash this Hulk actually talks and thinks and whatnot Hulk thinks quickly uh, puts a rock under the bridge stands on the rock and supports the bridge so that the train can pass however the train conductor was able to see Hulk sticking out through the, the the wreckage and thinks that Hulk attacked the train So Loki gets himself a panel to gloat. And then we have immediate uh, media feedback in the form of newspapers, because it's still the 1960s, uh, one of which finds its way into the hands of Rick Jones, who is Hulk's... the the teenager that Hulk saved and is also Hulk's kind of keeper, watcher. He he Basically, he's there to look out for, for Hulk. And Rick takes... The newspaper to the Teen Brigade, probably one of the worst creations in Marvel comics, but, you know, again, I think it's, honestly, I think it's Stan Lee's attempt to make young, make the young readers feel like they're a part of the story, which that's fine, but they're still pretty awful. At any rate, they attempt to contact the Fantastic Four because in the early 60s, the Fantastic Four seems to be the only superhero group that anyone actually knows about. Well, obviously this interferes with Loki's plan that didn't work, but then worked out. Loki's an ideas man, not really an execution kind of guy, as we'll see. Anyways, Loki diverts the radio signals that the Team Brigade is sending to the Fantastic Four. They are then intercepted and heard by Donald Blake. Donald Blake realizes what's going on, takes his stick, taps it on the ground, and da-da-da-da, Thor! Thor! Thor, however, is not the only one who hears these radio signals. In addition to Thor, we also have Ant-Man and Wasp and Iron Man, all of which hear, hear the signal and start making their way towards uh, the New Mexico desert. So while our heroes are making their way to the desert, the Team Brigade uh, does actually manage to get a hold of the Fantastic Four, and basically they tell them, hey, we're too busy, but we noticed that the signal got diverted... How they know that, Lord only knows. But we noticed the signal got diverted, and some other people probably picked it up, so they're on their way. They're probably on their way. If not, give us a call back. Yeah, apparently the Fantastic Four are just really busy people. I'm I'm not a superhero. I, I don't actually know what their schedule's like. Well, luckily, we don't have to wait very long to find out if Mr. Fantastic is right, because basically the next panel. Thor jumps in through the window. Iron Man runs in the door. And Ant-Man and Wasp show up. And they all basically offer their services to help. Loki, who has been watching this whole thing, realizes that, hey, you know, I only I, meant for, I really only meant for Thor to show up. Everyone else showed up. That's eh, not really going to, you know, work for my plan. So I need to get Thor on his own. So he creates an illusion of the Hulk which Thor sees out the window and gives chase to. Uh, Thor pretty quickly figures out that the Hulk is an illusion. And because of the, the time period in Marvel in which we are, only one person could possibly be responsible for this kind of illusion, and that is Loki. So Thor hightails it back to Asgard and leaves the rest of our heroes to search for the Hulk. Now, as luck would have it, Hulk... Is hiding not too far away in a circus. So, if you remember how I mentioned that the Marvel method doesn't always work quite right, so the Hulk's not committing genocide here. This is a slightly uh, smaller mistake. The Hulk is, is obviously hiding as a clown. Uh, however, Stanley's dialogue describes him as Mechanico, the most powerful lifelike robot on Earth. Clown, robot, whatever. Point is, Hulk is hiding reasonably successfully at a circus. Obviously, he's still super strong. He's juggling an elephant, a horse, and some type of marine mammal, a seal, a sea lion, something like that. Otter, maybe. But yes, marine mammal. And the timelines here are a little unclear. Hulk showing up at a circus, getting in on an act. And all that would take longer than, you know, the day or so it would have taken everyone to assemble in New Mexico. But that that's just me. I could be wrong. So while the Hulk is hiding out in the circus, a a lonely ant notices him and, and realizes that that's probably the Hulk. Because only the Hulk should be that strong as Hulk is lifting an entire lion tamer cage not just the lion not just the cage but the lion couple of lions all the equipment and the lion tamer so the ant reports back to ant-man and our heroes are off to confront hulk and initially yeah the fight goes pretty much in in hulk's favor iron man ant-man and wasp get a few kind of attempts in on hulk but they don't really succeed so, unfortunately, at this point, we we get our first kind of questionable 1960s moment. And and this is something that we see across Marvel comics uh, of the time. And, and even, honestly, I mean, earlier comics and, and certainly even later, in that female characters, especially like Sue Storm, Jean Grey, Wasp, tend to just be in the episodes f- or the issues for the damsel in distress, right? And, th- and, th- and these are characters later on that we will come to know and love and they will be very, f- very much fully fleshed out human beings and characters, but at least to start, you know, they're very much just helpless women, kind of the 1960s stereotype. And it's unfortunate, but uh, thankfully like most things, this too shall pass and we will just have to suffer through it for a little while. Much like us having to suffer through through this for a little while, Wasp is only forced to stay a damsel in distress for a short period until Iron Man shows up, and basically chases Hulk out of the tent, literally through the roof of the tent, like through the, through the top of the tent, and he takes the tent with him, the entirety of it. And... In general, on this these pages, his panels, I'm not super thrilled with the the Jack Kirby, distance and and little little figures. They just they're not very good. But I do I do appreciate the the panel of Hulk pulling off the tent, and you see just crowds of people being uncovered, and this little Hulk pulling this giant tent behind him it almost reminds me a little bit of like a spawn type of cape where it's just got that crazy mind of its own so Iron Man pursues Hulk and uh, eventually Hulk is able to slow Iron Man down and then we cut back to Asgard where Thor has gone before his father Odin and sought permission to confront Loki and Odin says okay you can you can go confront Loki but since you're both my sons I'm not going to interfere in whatever transpires between you And Thor basically says, that's cool, I understand. So he makes his way to the Isle of Silence. But of course, Loki, being the villain that he is, has set traps for Thor. And in this case, it consists of some tangle roots and volcanic gas globules, which look pretty cool. They're they're almost Kirby Crackle-esque, but not quite, but they're still really cool. And then eventually... Thor makes it to the Isle of Silence because, you know, he's got to confront Loki and he encounters what has got to be one of the most dangerous, deadly weapons in all of Marvel comics, and that is a troll hug. So Loki has made a deal with the trolls that live on the Isle of Silence that if they help him capture Thor, they can keep him and make him work as a slave in their minds for I guess, all eternity. And as it turns out, a troll's grasp is, is unbreakable. However, the trolls also turn out to be much like myself at five in the morning. And they're a bit light-sensitive, because they live underground. So Thor is able to blind them with a lightning blast from Mjolnir, his enchanted Uru hammer, uh, which causes them to let go of him. And he then is able to actually confront Loki. Only it turns out it's not actually Loki. He ends up fighting illusions of Loki. This is one of those things that they they definitely pulled from the comics and put into the films that I love. If you remember the Avengers film, when they're having the big fight on the helicarrier, Thor goes after Loki in Hulk's prison cage, whatever you want to call it, and jumps right through an illusion of Loki And Loki comes out and just kind of looks at him and says, are you ever not going to fall for that? Similar thing here. Except, again, Thor does eventually figure it out and manages to capture Loki. And basically says, hey, I'm going to take you back to Earth. There's a bunch of folks there who are as powerful as me or almost as powerful as I am. And you're going to have some explaining to do. So at this point, we cut once again back to Earth. And Iron Man and Hulk are now duking it out in a in a car factory, which is really kind of cool you know jack kirby is is known for his machines and his Asgardian stuff and we get at least some of both in this book and it's 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 a treat it it always is this is this is also a great example of the fun in in the Silver Age. Right, it's not dark, it's not gritty. It's not realistic. Hulk takes the drive shaft from a car and uses a conveyor belt as a slingshot to launch it at Iron Man. And then Iron Man crumples it up and reforms it into a giant grappling hook which he uses to pin Hulk to the wall. Right, and you know, because they couldn't be super violent or at least super realistically violent, they had to come up with clever and interesting ways to incapacitate heroes and villains, and this is one of them, and it's just kind of fun. You know, it's it's a different time in comics, right? We don't need to beat people to a pulp. It doesn't need to be realistic. It needs to be fun, and it needs to be clever, and this is exactly what that is. So just as Iron Man is about to have his final confrontation with Hulk, Thor literally drops in between them. Like just right right in between them. And says, Hey, here's Loki. He's actually the one who's responsible for all of this. So you should you guys should not shouldn't fight each other. You guys should deal with Loki. Which is great. Except Loki has one more trick up his sleeve. And it's a stupid one. He makes himself radioactive. Which, I mean, I guess isn't is okay, but like. Hulk's probably already radioactive. Iron Man's wearing a giant suit that's going to shield him quite a bit. And, I mean, if Loki's making himself radioactive and is not dying, Thor's probably not affected either. So, not really that effective. But, you know, radiation, it's dangerous. And also, keep in mind, this is the 1960s. And this is Marvel Comics, right? Hulk gets his powers from radiation, Spider-Man gets bitten by a radioactive spider. The Fantastic Four are exposed to gamma rays. Like, radiation is totally a thing. And the fascination with radiation and the atomic weapons and things like that. That's a very 1960s thing. So you just kinda accept it and go with it. So Loki's doing his radioactive thing, except he fails to notice a bunch of ants. Because you don't really pay attention to a lot of a bunch of ants and also fails to notice the trap door he's standing on, uh, which is then triggered by the ants, and he is placed in a lead-lined tank. So, again, just to point out, they're in a car factory, and there is a lead-lined tank for disposal of radioactive waste from atomic test dumps. Okay. I just really want to know why it's in the car factory. I mean, even if we're, like, a tank factory... Like, why, why are they disposing of radioactive material in a factory? But, at any rate, so Loki has now been dealt with. Uh, apparently he can only stay radioactive for a couple of minutes, because deus ex machina. And, you know, eventually we want to release him and use him as a villain again, so he can't stay radioactive. And that basically wraps up the issue, except for the fact that Ant-Man and Wasp think that they should team up on a somewhat regular basis, say monthly like a comic book publishing schedule. And uh Wasp recommends the name Avengers, Ant-Man rather insistent and everyone else seems to agree. So the Avengers are born. And and that's the issue. You know, so in general, I think this is a a, a good start. We're not dinking around with character origins because we're not that far removed from character origins. We get the origin of the team, but other than the fact that they're they're not a fully formed team, you've effectively got a group, a team adventurer, uh, and all you're really lacking is a fully formed kind of team dynamic, the various roles each each character will fill. Uh, But obviously we'll get those in time. That's not something that happens right away. So, yeah, it's a good start. Like I said, there's... Jack Kirby at this point is is doing 3 books this month uh, in in September of 63. So I would certainly not classify this as his best work. There are some really really good spots, the Asgardian stuff, some of the, the machinery stuff, and also Kirby just does some some wonderfully expressive faces. But there's also some stuff like like I said the 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 smaller distance kind of shots with very small characters in them that just that aren't very good. It's Jack Kirby, so it's it's strong, but it's still middle of the road, Jack Kirby, and and the writings, you know, the stories itself, the writing's not, but Stanley, man's got a, a pretty substantial vocabulary, and loves alliteration, but you know, in general, it's not the most engrossing, interesting story, and other than the fact that this is the origin of the team, it doesn't really have much other bearing on anything else. So yeah, that's the issue. Uh, I think we, I'd give the art three, three stars, and the the story three stars as well. So if you'd like to know more, make sure you head on over to our website, AvengersAssembly.com, where you can find plot summaries of each ish, of each issue and hero and villain bios that we will update periodically as our heroes and villains change and we find out more about them. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. Next week, we'll be talking Avengers number two, the Space Phantom. Once again, I'm your host, Andrew, and you've been listening to Some Assembly Required.